good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to start this morning with a question. So if you're still finding your seats, um, then that's fine. Um, I'll give you, um, we're going to start this morning by looking at what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, which is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So just for one minute, I'd like you to talk to the person next to you and ask your neighbor, what does it mean to have life in all its fullness? Okay, I'm not going to take any answers in, so don't worry about sharing afterwards, but I just want to start getting you to think about that topic. What does it mean to have life in all its fullness? Okay, um, hopefully that's helped you get your brain start thinking about that, this topic, um, because this morning we're continuing our series on Colossians and in particular looking at this idea of fullness. So verse 10 of today's passage says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So we're going to consider what, what could that mean? Um, and by, in, in doing that, we're going to consider four questions. One is, what does the Colossian society and what does our society say about fullness? Two, what does fullness mean for Jesus and for us? Thirdly, how have we been brought to fullness? And then finally, how can we live out this fullness of life today? So we're going to open up our Bibles, if you've got them, or find it on your phone, and it'll also be on the screen as well. Uh, so today's passage is Colossians chapter 2, and we're going from verses 8 to 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith 
in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So then, our first question for today was, what does the Colossian society and our society say about fullness? So firstly, Colossians. Um, Just a quick reminder of some background to Colossians um, and a background to, to Paul's letters. So Paul's letters, there's actually three types of his letters in the New Testament. There's personal ones, ones which are written to an individual, like Timothy. There's occasional ones, which are written to a a specific church for a specific issue. And that Colossians is like one of these. And then he also writes some general letters, which were circulated amongst several churches. An example of one of these is Ephesians. So Colossians then was written for a specific occasion to address a specific issue. So one of the challenges for us as, as readers today is that nowhere in the book of Colossians does it specifically say what the issue is. We see Paul's response, but we don't exactly see what the issue is because Paul assumes that the readers already know. So in order to understand, we have to use some detective work to kind of work back and make some educated guesses. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the films on Netflix, Knives Out, Um, So it's basically a classic murder mystery with the detective, in this case, Benoit Blanc, um, analysing all the evidence to solve the case. And in a sense, as we read Colossians, although we're not solving a murder case, we have to act like detectives to try to understand what is the issue that Paul is speaking into. So to help us do that, um, it's good to think about Colossae, the place, the place that this letter is going to. So it was located about 100 miles inland east of Ephesus, and it was situated near the great Persian Royal Road, which ran from Ephesus in the west to the Euphrates and Persia in the east. And so the population was probably quite diverse, lots of people coming and going. Um, We also know that there was a Jewish presence in the city from other historical texts. Um, And in these times, Each city in the ancient world would also have had their own local gods. Um, Plus, being on this trade route, they would have had lots of ideas coming to and fro, um, all mixing together in this place. So so then, um, let's come to today's passage and verse 8. So verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So then, these hollow and deceptive philosophies, uh, commentators don't completely agree about what these may be, although we think maybe in some way they're Jewish, because um, later on in this text, 
there's some references to food regulations, the Sabbath, and other rules of the Jewish calendar, which will be in, in next week's passage, as well as some mention of circumcision in today's passage. Um, it also appears to be some kind of Judaism which has been influenced by other cultures because um, there's some self-discipline and mysticism featured, you know, the spiritual forces which is mentioned in this verse. At least some kind of spiritual elite or Gnostics. Um, and Gnostic is like the opposite of agnostic, if you heard of that word, which is it's where we don't know what we believe if we're agnostic. And so Gnostics, the opposite of that, they, they kind of, they thought that they did know. They thought that they believed in some kind of inside knowledge that nobody else had on how to reach God and that they needed to keep pursuing this special, special knowledge and wisdom, which might have included maybe angelic worship or some kind of heavenly mysteries or mystical experiences. And they needed to do all of those to reach some kind of true fullness. So, so then there's kind of some false beliefs here that we think Paul's speaking to, and then it leads on to some kind of false behaviors. And I think next part of the passage um, is focusing more on the behaviors. So today we're focusing more on the false beliefs. And ultimately, the false beliefs in the Colossian culture, um, which are influencing the church and Paul's speaking into, they can be summarized by two points. One is that they believe that God was too far away. So God is up in the heavens somewhere. He's too holy for ordinary beings to reach them and that the only way to get there was this some kind of special knowledge that you had to have um, and these special spiritual practices required to reach him. I don't know what you think about this belief. Do you think that God sometimes is too far away or difficult to reach? Or perhaps that fullness of life in God is too far away? Secondly then, the other false belief that the Colossian culture was sort of influencing into the church was that Jesus is too low. So because they've got all these other gods going around, maybe Jesus is just another one of these other gods or angels or spiritual beings, and so maybe we want to know him and follow him, but along with everything else that's going on. But, but that's it, that, that's all that Jesus is. Again, I'll ask you, what do you think about that belief? Do, do you feel like we need more than just Jesus to have a full life? So then, if, if these are the hollow and deceptive philosophies of Colossians, what about the hollow and deceptive philosophies for us in West Leeds and East Bradford? I think there's some similarities for us with the Colossian culture. Firstly, um, or maybe trivially, the great Persian Royal Road, in our case, being the M62, running from Liverpool in the west to Hull in the east. The truth, though, is that in West Yorkshire, we do live in a religiously diverse region. Um, the latest census said 40% of people identify as Christians, which is down from 55% 10 years ago. 15% identify as Muslims, as well as thousands of Sikhs, Hindus, Jewish people, and Buddhists. Um, and in Bradford specifically, 30% um, of res residents identified themselves as Muslim, which is four and a half times the national average, uh, and also compared to other areas in West Yorkshire. 
Leeds itself has a higher proportion of residents who state that they have no religion, greater than 40% of residents. So we do live in the midst of a diverse religious culture, but one that I think our church probably is most affected by, by those who say they have no religion. So then, what are some of these hollow and deceptive philosophies that influence our Christian culture? Um, I think there's probably a significant number of them, and it can be a good practice from time to time to reflect on those and try to understand what is, what's our culture speaking into our lives and us as a church. Um, I've just picked out two for us today, because um, I think they relate a little bit to some of the things that the Colossians were struggling with, um, and it's, they're also things that I struggle with myself as well, so hopefully we can relate to them. Uh, the first one, you can see the slide up here. Um, our culture says that we shouldn't ask for help. We, we should be able to do this on our own. Don't look weak. Our culture's attitude says, you've got this, you can get there. Be strong, don't be weak. And I think in our Christian culture, perhaps we often think that we should only come to God when we're right at the bottom, when, when everything else has failed and when we really, really need help. Uh, maybe we think, and this is what I used to think as well, that God's so far away, he's too busy, and, and I used to think that, um, oh, it's amazing, God, God's died for me, um, God's done so much for me, I should probably only bother him again if I really need him. Um, maybe I should get my life fixed first before I come to God. Um, so another question for us to think about, is fullness of life having everything together? Doing the things we should without relying on other people? Maybe believing in ourselves? Um, what about you? Do, you? do you see that philosophy influencing your life or influencing our church? Do we need to hold it all together when we come to church? Or are we allowed to show our weakness? So, and then the second point that I've, um, I've got, another slide, is, um, is, is our consumerist culture. Um, so this philosophy tells us that if we just had the latest thing, then everything will be fine. We just need that to reach what we really deserve. We see around 10,000 ads a day telling us to buy the, the new latest thing and then our lives will be better. But it's not just ads. We also see glossy people in pictures, on our phones, telling us if we just do this, we just do that, then everything will be perfect. And um, I think those Christians, we sometimes allow this into our thoughts. Maybe we think um, that we need something else to reach fullness in our lives. And although we wouldn't say this, we're essentially saying that Jesus is not enough. Maybe if only I tried a bit harder, I could get to that place I want to go to. If only I read my Bible a bit more. If only I prayed a bit more, I'd have that life that I've always wanted. If only God would give us this one thing. If only he'd answer my prayer. If only he would heal this thing in my life. What about you? Do, do you think that you need something more from God to reach fullness in your life? Perhaps Jesus is a part of our lives, but for a full life, do we also need to have a successful career, have a happy family, be popular, or, or even be busy or look busy? So then if, if, 
these were our two philosophies and deceptive philosophies that we've thought about, and then we've thought about the two philosophies in Colossians. Let's look back at the passage now and look at how does Paul address some of these. We're going to find that he shows what fullness means for Jesus and for us, and then how we are brought into fullness. So our second question today was, what does fullness mean for Jesus and for us? So verse 9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul is saying that Jesus is not just another God. And I find this verse amazing, remarkable, that in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is fully God. Jesus, who was born as a man, who actually lived on the earth, born of Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. In him, all the fullness of God lives. Now, one of, one of our first um, dinner dates that um, Faye and I had um, after our daughters were born, and we'd managed to finally get a babysitter, uh, we went out to Leeds for dinner, and, um, and on the way back, we got a taxi back, and we got talking to the taxi driver. And um, our conversation soon got on to talking about faith, um, as he was a Muslim, and he was eager to understand our Christian faith and also share his Muslim faith. And given it was just before Christmas, we ended up talking about the Christmas story. And one thing that he just could not accept was that how could God have his nappy changed. He just, he just didn't get it. and it, it, In fact, it offended him. And I think it's a valid question for one, for, as Muslims and as Christians as well, we hold God as so holy. It, it does, it seems impossible. But yet our God, the God of the Bible, is both. He's both this high, holy, lifted up God, and yet he humbled himself. He made himself nothing he was made in human likeness, and he came as a baby. And it's one of these paradoxes of faith that God is both high, and yet he draws near. And this, this is just what I think the Colossian church was struggling with. How can God be high and yet draw near to us? And, and yet Paul reminds them that Jesus was fully God. When God came down as a man, and he, he just wants to remind us of that. So then, um, thinking back to that question of fullness, if Jesus was fully God, what, what difference does that actually make to, for us? Does it have anything to say to us about life in its fullness? I think the answer is yes. In Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and Jesus invites us to be brought into that fullness. God was completely present in Jesus, so when we are joined with Jesus, we don't need to add anything else. Verse 10 says, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So that then moves us on to our third question. If we've been brought to fullness, how? How have we been brought to fullness? And um, I really like how the message translation of this verse goes. It says, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve it's through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. So then in the next verses of this passage, there's four images that uh, Paul picks out to explain how we've been brought to fullness. 
So the first one is circumcision. There's baptism. There's sins or forgiveness. And then there is victory. So the first one, circumcision. In the Old Covenant, um, circumcision was a putting off of a small amount of flesh by human hands, as the verse says, as a sign of entering into a covenant with God. At the, cr- at the cross in Christ, our whole self was put off, circumcised by Christ. And so he's comparing the two. It's not just a small amount of flesh, but our whole body has been put off, died with Christ and his death. And so for the Colossians here, as well as comparing the two, I think he, he might also be speaking into that Jewish culture which maybe they were encouraging the new Christians that circumcision was needed for salvation. And here Paul's saying, no, Christ's death on the cross is the new circumcision. And for us today, thankfully, we too do not need to be circumcised. There is no long list of laws that we have to keep to reach to God and to obtain the fullness of life that he offers. And yes, spiritual disciplines are good, I think vitally important for our Christian faith. But on the other hand, they, in and of themselves, they're not needed to reach God. Um, Perhaps then for us, there might be some traditions or practices that feel, that you feel like you need to do to get to God. Maybe you think, if I, if I can just get my prayer life sorted, if I can, uh, if I can just know my Bible, then I can come to him, then I can reach this fullness. But Paul says, no, because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection, God invites us to come to him simply as we are. So then the second um, point, second image is baptism. I'm just going to read the verse because I've forgotten to write it down here. Verse 12 to 13, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So then in baptism, we die to our old life. We are buried with him and also raised with him. There's a reason that the baptismal pool, which was out here a couple of months ago, um, there's a reason it looks a bit like a coffin. It's because as we go under the water in baptism, we are with Christ and we are dying to our old life. And then as we come out of the water, we are raised with Christ to our new life. And that symbolism for the Colossian church is just as true for us today. In baptism, we join with Christ in moving from death to life. As Paul goes on to say, before we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So at the cross, we join in the death of Christ so that we can be raised with him and become alive with Christ. So then, my challenge for you, if you haven't already, get baptized. The command is here and baptism is It's an outward representation of what's going on inside ourselves. Choose then with your body to go down into the water to die to your old life and to rise out into your new life with Jesus. We regularly do baptisms at the Oak, so please speak to um, someone that's been up here this morning or myself if it's something that you feel God is calling you to do or asking you to do. So then the third image is forgiveness. So this is verse 13 to 14. He forgives all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, 
which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. At the cross, God forgives all our sins and cancels the debt held against us. As many of you know, uh, we've recently had our third child, Bonnie, who will be five weeks old tomorrow. And uh, whilst it is tiring with a newborn, um, less sleep, things like that, uh, we found that it's actually our two-year-old twin daughters that tire us out more. Um, and at the moment, we're, we're trying to teach Mary and Robin uh, about forgiveness, and it is challenging, because several times a day, um, they get into some kind of dispute about wanting the same toy, just pushing each other, maybe biting, all these kinds of things. And we're trying to teach them, when they do that, to say sorry and to make up. And at the moment, they're, sorry. It, it sort of doesn't always seem sincere. But um, we then encourage them to hug each other. Um, here's my picture. It's, it's easier to get a hugging picture than the fighting picture, because you've got to rush out and pick them up, stop them fighting. But, um, yeah, it's amazing how, how quickly um, they forgive each other and forget, and they just play again afterwards. Um, and, and that's kind of the same when God forgives our sins and nails them to the cross. They are totally forgiven. When our sins are forgiven, we are invited back in to that fellowship with God. So then the fourth image, um, the last few verses of today, are, um, it's gone, oh, oh here it is, it's, it's uh, victory. So verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So then, through the cross and resurrection, Jesus, the head over every power and authority, triumphed over them. He won our victory on the cross. So to the Colossian church, Paul is saying, nothing else is needed for victory. We don't need more human tradition. We don't need to depend on elemental spiritual forces. Jesus has won the victory for us. And in our context, it's the same. We don't need anything else for victory. I don't know, maybe that's a question for us. What, what do you think you need? What do we think we need for victory? You know, that's the same kind of thing. Do we need to hold things together? Do we need some other practice to get there? Paul's saying here, no, we don't need to come to God as victorious people. We can come to him as defeated people. We don't present to God our victory trophy. He lifts us up and asks us to lift it with him. Jesus isn't just another power or authority. He is above these, and he has defeated them. When those powers thought they had won by putting Christ on the cross, death couldn't hold him, and Jesus won. So then, um, that leads us to our fourth question for today, which is, how can we live out this fullness of life today? So then, as we consider this last question, let's go back to the question I gave you at the start of this morning. What does it mean to have life in all its fullness? So fullness of life for Paul is in Christ. It's made possible through what Jesus has done. We don't need to add anything. And fullness of life, I think, is best seen in God's invitation to join in, to participate with him in this fullness. And for me, this is one of the most amazing things about the gospel. It's not just that he does all this thing, but he also invites us in to, to have fellowship with him. And, and so life in all its fullness 
is then worked out in how we respond to his invitation. So then what does it look like then on the day to day? And as good as all this is, raised to new life, forgiven, victorious, as with any good mysteries, I think there's a little bit of a, a twist at the end. I don't know if you spotted it. The, the, the twist is that um, there's actually a big challenge for us in this. That if we want this fullness of life, we need to die to our old lives. Our old life, as Paul said, was cut off, circumcised by Christ, and we have been buried with him. In the day-to-day then, the journey we're invited onto is a journey to and with and in Christ, and it's a journey through the cross. God's way is challenging, but ultimately, this is how we live a full life. And I came to that realization the other day, thinking about those choices that we've got before us, the kind of easier life, maybe, or the challenging life that God leads us to. Um, you know, the kind of narrow road, well, the wide road and the narrow road. And um, I was actually thinking, um, although it's the easy life sounds like it's easy, and it sounds like it's the easier way, the truth is that not following Christ on this narrow road is actually harder. Um, and, uh, and there's a verse in Matthew 16 which says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Um, and I just want to end with a short story, of one way in which um, this plays out in my life. Um, and, and to show you as well, it's very much a work in progress for me and, and for us. Um, so God's recently been revealing parts of my life that are not his best for me, uh, parts of my life that are part of this old way of living, and that I need to die to, uh, even though I don't know exactly how to do that. Um, So one of those parts in me is that um, I get very frustrated and very annoyed with myself if there's something that I feel like I should be able to do, but I can't. And uh, usually this revolves around some form of DIY or fixing something or putting something together. And I I can feel this sort of emotion building up in me. Ah, like, I can't do it and I I should be able to do this. Um, And uh, I think it's also sort of emotions of pride that that I should be able to do it. And and maybe emotions of disappointment that, oh, why can't I do this? I'm disappointed in myself. And, um, And I think... I mean, that's basically where I'm at with it at the moment. I, I, I'm not fully gone over to this new way of life. And I think at the moment, God's saying to me, like, showing that to me, showing to me that that's, that's the old way and that's what you need to die to. And so when I feel those emotions coming up, I'm, I'm trying to surrender them to God and say, I, I, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want the, to be proud. I don't want to be disappointed in myself because that's not what, what God feel, thinks about me. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I'm excited to see how God's going to do that transformation in my life as I, as I continue to surrender that to him. So then a final question for you as we finish is, um, what about you? What are some of these hollow and deceptive philosophies that you might have bought into? For me, it was that I needed to be strong and hold it all together, that I need to do everything and only ask for help when I really need it. Um, so... Let's, let's just have a, a minute to think of that. What have we bought into? What is it that you need to die to? Do you want, and this is a, a challenging question as well, is do you want this fullness of life 
even if it costs you, even if it's hard? What is it that you need to die to? And I want to remind us as we think about this question and we think about this process in our lives that we come to it as sons and daughters of God. God's not looking to catch us out or tell us off, but he's kind and he leads us onwards as a father leads his children. He doesn't want to overwhelm us with all the things that we feel like we should do. Um, And so as we reflect on that question, um, try to listen out to that kind voice of God, which is leading us onwards. And perhaps one specific area of your life that he might be speaking to at the moment. Uh, Invite the band back up to continue our worship. And I'll just pray to close us. Father God, we thank you so much that um, in Jesus, um, you came in all your fullness. Uh, And thank you, God, that you invite us into that. And Lord, as we we live in a world with with so many um, noises, so many voices speaking into us, God, I pray that we would hear your voice speaking the loudest. Um, yeah, we just thank you that, that you made a way for us to, to enter into your fullness. Um, and yeah, I pray that you'd speak to us, Lord. You'd re- reveal your hearts for us. You'd reveal our hearts, um, what it is that um, you want to speak to us today. Um, and yeah, I pray that you'd just come and minister to us, God. Amen. Amen.